Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 429 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and coming to you on a Sunday. It's Thanksgiving week, or at least we're almost to Thanksgiving week, and I'm joined, as I often am, by Scott Coleman. Scott, Friday was pretty busy for the Braves. Have you recovered? It's been about a day and a half now. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, there was just a whirlwind there for the Braves of about 24 hours between the six-player Aaron Bummer trade and then all of the non-tendering and and trading. I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And it's fascinating because there's been a lot of movement with this 40-man roster. I don't know if anyone who has necessarily moved was was going to be a big contributor to 2024. But anytime you talk about cutting quite literally 25% of your 40-man active roster within like a day and a half, that, that doesn't happen very often. So there are plenty of things to chat about. Yeah, you look up at the end of Friday and the Braves had 30 guys on their 40-man roster, and that does not usually happen under any circumstance. So uh, plenty to get to. I do agree with that broad point, by the way, and I guess it's worth just emphasizing that you could certainly argue, and I think I probably would argue, that every single player that left the Braves roster, either via non-tender or via trade, uh, there were some guys who would have potentially been in backup roles. Like I would certainly circle Nicky Lopez on that list, but uh, no starting players. And no guys that you would that I would have projected right now to be, you know, in the top 10 or 11 pitchers on the roster either. So it is a pretty interesting um, flurry of activity. Let's just say uh, I do want to start with something that has not been covered on this podcast network yet. We, we did talk about the Aaron Bummer trade. I should say you talked about the Aaron Bummer trade earlier this week, but uh, we have not talked about Kyle Wright. And uh, I know a lot of people tagged me in their responses to you. Uh, you. You, of course, are known as, a, if not the leading Kyle Wright enthusiast, certainly at the top of the list. And Kyle Wright and his tenure in Atlanta is over as he's been traded to the Kansas City Royals for Jackson Coar. Um, a surprising transaction, I will say. Um, Mark Bowman did kind of tip it off a few minutes before the deadline for non-tenders because he kind of said that the Braves were working on something with, with Wright. Everybody's like, wait, did you mean Kyle Wright? And uh, he did mean Kyle Wright in the end. So I'm going to give no more setup here, Scott, because this is your area of expertise. Uh, what was your reaction? And now that you've had a day and a half to process this, has that changed at all? Yeah, I'm I'm bummed for Kyle. And really just more so that the shoulder injury is going to cost him pretty much two full years. Of course, barely pitched this past season and then underwent surgery in October. He's going to miss all of, of next year. I mean, for, for to have a surgery in October and to know that you're not going to have him at any point next season is is pretty indicative of what he has going on. And shoulder injuries for pitchers are very scary for all of the medical improvements that have come with Tommy John and elbow surgeries. They're still pretty far behind with shoulders. Of course, a much more intricate part of the body too, which is never a good thing when you're talking about pitchers. Uh, so a bummer. I, I had never really heard of of Jackson Kowar. I'm guessing the Braves uh, you know, there, there there couldn't have been much of a market out there for Wright, knowing that he's not going to pitch next year and maybe even beyond. At one point, Coar was a, a first-round pick. He throws pretty hard. He has an upper 90s fastball. Maybe they think they can get something out of him. Maybe he's just in the Gwinnett Stripers to Atlanta shuttle bus to, to help give depth throughout the season. But really just bummed that it is seemingly the end of the Kyle Wright tenure in Atlanta I wish him all the best. I hope he's able to uh, come back and, and be good for the Royals one day. I genuinely do. But I guess I don't blame the Braves for moving on and opening up a roster spot and saving a couple dollars in the process. Yeah, we'll talk about Kawar a little bit more in a second. Um, we should at least just 
tie a bow on the end of the Kyle Wright era. You know, like we'll always have the 21 World Series where he came out of almost nowhere after he had struggled for so long and was really big for them through five and a third innings. And they were very effective, important innings in the World Series. And the Braves won that World Series. And that's uh, part of his legacy. And then he was, of course, awesome last year. I mean, we'd all been waiting for it, especially you, honestly, for a long time. Uh, he uh, still, I believe, has the largest signing bonus in Braves draft history. Um, he was a highly regarded prospect and you know, not, not a prospect anymore, but certainly he, he showed what he could be last year. Um, in 2022, I should say top 20, top 10 Cy Young finish is ERA was in the low threes, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly the Braves, you know, you mentioned the lack of market. It seems like on the outside, look, they're not going to say this. They're going to, they said all the right things on the way out. And by the way, Kyle gave a, a very, uh, classy exit message to the organization and to the fans, et cetera, as he is wont to do. But it's, it seems like you only do this trade if you're the Braves, if you just don't think he's coming back as far as like being the same pitcher physically, because, you know, it's the shoulder. Shoulders are awful, honestly. You know, elbows are, at this point in time, you don't, you don't want to downplay elbow injuries, but elbow injuries are a lot easier in some in some ways than shoulders. Shoulders are more of a black box. And, I mean, honestly, this is going to sound crazy. He was not on my radar as a non-tender candidate to be making, you probably like a million and a half dollars in arbitration, but were they going to, were they going to non-tender him? Because they basically got back a package that would, that with all respect to Jackson Kowar, Seems like they might have considered not tendering right. That, that's how bad yeah. this return is, honestly. Uh, I do too. Yeah, I, I'm leaning that way. It, it's fascinating to me, and I think this is what's interesting: is you look back on what Alex Anthopoulos says, and he always preaches having depth and utilizing the full 40 man roster. And uh, sure, Kyle is not going to be available next season, but to give up on a player of his pedigree in exchange for a couple of dollars in savings, I, I tend to think that you're right. I, I'm guessing that Kyle would have been non-tendered. It, it wouldn't be a complete shock. I mean, of course, they stuck with Michael Soroka through all of his injuries pre this past week, right? They tendered him a contract, um, you know, and, and kind of under the radar, Kyle Wright is probably going to be 30 or 31 years old by the time yeah. he comes back from this shoulder. He is not a young man, I believe, he was a senior in college when they drafted him. And, you know, he is he's older than I think you would necessarily expect for a guy who has only really pitched in the major leagues for one full season at this point. Yeah, that's a good note by you. And again, I'm not trying to paint a negative picture. It's just if you do the kind of the, the math or uh, connect some dots behind the scenes, like the Braves would have had to have a pretty low opinion of what the chances are that Wright gets back to being right or anything close to that to make this move. And that's unfortunate for all parties. We should at least acknowledge, I know you talked about Kowar a second ago. Uh, I don't mean this in a negative way. Uh, nothing that he has done at the major league level is uh, a positive, basically. Uh, the stat sheet is about as brutal as it gets. In fact, I think our fearless leader, Chris Willis, found this. He has the third highest ERA in MLB history for players with at least 70 innings of work. And that ERA is 9.12. So that's obviously bad. The sample is not that big. In the minors, he has been better than that, but not been incredible. But you mentioned it. like He does have some stuff. He has some pedigree. And, and I will guess that the Braves see something here that they like. I don't, that does not mean that it's going to work, but I assume they either are, you know, maybe piling on the, uh, piling on the Royals as far as being a bad organization and uh, maybe kind of maybe trying to buy low on somebody there, or they just like his stuff, you know, the raw talent, you know, he was first round pick for a reason, but look, I have to be just, there's nothing on this profile that 
excites me. It's more no, of a uh, no. it's it's a, it's a shot in the dark versus again. That's kind of why I think that might have been a non tender. I think that if the choice is more non tender or you just take this back, this is a little bit a little bit of an easier sell even to fans. Like this, PR doesn't really matter that much. But I don't know about you. If they had non tendered Kyle Wright, the reaction would have been even probably more negative from fans than if you get someone back and you say, "Hey, this guy was a first round pick that we're going to try to rebuild." Versus like, "Hey, we got nothing. Like actually nothing back for Kyle Wright." Yeah. Totally. And I'm guessing the Braves and their minor league coaching staff will kind of get him back to ground zero and see if they can tweak something. Again, he throws, you know, his his fastball averaged about 96 last year. His slider is 87, 88. So it's not like it's all smoke and mirrors and you're hoping for a guy who throw, you know, who can't hit 90 is suddenly going to get big leaguers out. It's worth a chance. And at the same time, we talk about all of these non-tenders. Uh, the Gwinnett Stripers are going to need somebody to throw innings. And if he is just in that AAA mix, whether it's in the rotation, maybe they try him in the bullpen and or in a hybrid role or something like that, uh, you can do worse than someone who has a little bit of pedigree. And who knows? Maybe we never hear. Th- this could very easily be, Brad, the final time we say Jackson Cower's <laughs> name yeah, on this yeah. podcast. And if so, then no harm, no foul. I will just say, and look, I'm not trying to, you know, round things out too much. And I think I'm going to be positive about the Aaron Bummer trade in a second. Um, I got to say, Scott, I don't like this move for the Braves. Now, I, I will, I'll be the first one to say that it may not be terribly consequential. I'm not ranting and raving here, but I don't, from what the information that we have publicly, I, I don't, I don't love this. I think I would have probably just given Kyle the million and a half and given him another year. Uh, and you know, put him on sixty day right away, and all that. I think that I would have preferred that on the outside. And again, I'm not trying to be a take artist here on this one, but I, this is this is one where I I understand why they're not doing this. But I think that I would have gone the Soroka route and given him, uh, you know, the million and a half to rehab for a year and see what you have in a year because Wright's pedigree and what he could have been, I, I just think kind of outstrips what Coar is going to be. I, I could be wrong. That, that's kind of where I am though. Just to be just to be candid about it. I am in, as we usually are, I am in complete agreement. <laughs> you know, this was a, a 19-year-old prospect who throws 100 miles an hour yeah. and just can't command the ball. It's like, okay, maybe there's like legitimate upside there. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Now, we are not privy to the medical records. I mean, his shoulder right. might just be like capital and letters. That's, there, there's a reason why we said that. Like, I think there's a pretty good chance, unfortunately, that he is cooked because yeah. I don't think the Braves, I think the Braves and this front office has earned the benefit of the doubt over and over again, I I just don't think they would have done this if they had any belief that he would be back. And that's unfortunate for all parties, but, and they have the medical info that we don't have. I'm just saying from what we know on the outside, I would have given another year probably, but maybe they found a a diamond in the rough with Jackson Kohler. I, I kind of doubt it, but it's, it's plausible. Yeah, certainly possible. We will see. I'm sure he'll get an invitation to spring training and, and have a chance to showcase himself. And uh, but yeah, just uh, a sad day. I mean, I think for a lot of folks are fans of Kyle Wright. He has a great personal story and what he's talked about, um, you know, his, his overcoming the mental hurdles that come with being successful at the major league level and and all of that. So wishing Kyle the very best with his recovery. Hopefully, I mean, I, I genuinely hope that in a decade we're talking about the worst trade in franchise history is Kyle Wright because he became a, a, a fringe Hall of Famer or something like that. It's just those shoulder injuries are really scary. And anytime you're talking about a guy who's going to miss two plus years and is not necessarily a young man anymore at 30 years old, the odds are stacked against him. But let's hope he figures it out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Scott, let's move on to the Aaron Bummer trade and we'll just plug this right now. We did a emergency podcast and it was not me. It was actually you jumped on with uh, your your non-family member, Sean Coleman, who have the same last name, of course, um, for an emergency show. So I'm going to keep it tight here because you already talked about this. Um, this is a difficult transaction and I'm aware that not everybody listens to every podcast. So we're going to talk about it a little bit here. There's a lot to sift through. And I don't know if this strikes you the same way as me. I did listen to your show uh, with Sean, but this is the kind of trade, like almost designed in a lab to kind of be a different thing to different people. I think that if you are, and this is not meant as a pejorative or a negative, but if you're a more casual baseball fan or you don't like live and die the transaction cycle and roster management and all that stuff, this deal feels like utterly shocking to some people. And I saw lots of reactions about that on social media and I totally get that. Um, But if you go like a half step or a full step deeper, it kind of all makes sense. And in the end, I kind of like it. Does that make sense as a setup to you? I mean, obviously we are in this in the population of folks who do live this stuff every day. So it's hard to put yourself in other people's shoes, but it feels like there was like a, a strong divide on this to where if you pay close, super close attention, you kind of understand what this deal is. And if you don't, you like viscerally hate it because it's a five for one trade with guys that you recognize. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the best example of this is you know, now on Twitter, there's the for you column where just random stuff pops up and a couple of White Sox reporters or, or podcasters, I'm not sure who they were, but they were like over the moon. And I think it was because of the name value that they got for Aaron Bummer, right? Like Michael Sirocco was once a premier pitcher in the National League. Uh, Nikki Lopez, uh, serviceable middle infielder. Brad Shoemake was a first rounder. Jared Schuster was a first rounder. I think the name value really was like, whoa, these are some big names. And then, as you just said, you think about it for a moment and you go, well, Nicky Lopez was going to likely be a bench player next year, making $4 million. Michael Soroka was out of options, was going to be non-tendered because of that. And while we're all rooting for Mike, again, the odds are stacked against him. He was not great this past season, just didn't have the full command. We know about Jared Schuster and his limitations. Braden Shoemake is your very prototypical career minor leaguer. And then Riley Goins was a, a ninth rounder. Uh, who knows what his future holds? So yeah, on the surface, you're like, whoa, okay, th- those are some pretty known names. It's not like these are a bunch of teenage international free agents who had even made their way to the U.S. yet in the organization. Um, but you just kind of think about next year's team and roster construction, and there's really just no place for most of them. I am sad to see Nicky Lopez go. I thought he was a valuable piece. And then an opportunity to add a talented left-handed reliever in Aaron Bummer, a guy who has really good stuff. He has a lot of things the Braves like. And if you can improve him and fix some of the issues he had this past season with the White Sox, then you're talking about adding another really good reliever to your bullpen mix next year. That tracks for me too. And look, Alex loves to fortify the bullpen. And it's something that has worked for the Braves over a large period of time at this point. And you laid out player by player, like, you know, I know Steven, our mutual friend and colleague talked about like, it's almost, if you break it down, it's not this simple, but it's it's kind of almost Nicky Lopez for Aaron Bummer in some respects, not to pile on anybody else, but he was the only guy that projected to be on the roster, like for sure next season, if he was on the team. And like you said, 
$4 million, I think is appropriate for Nicky Lopez, but that is a large price tag for a backup. And I think Nicky Lopez is one of the best defensive infielders in all of baseball, like maybe in the top two, three, four in that category, but he hasn't hit a ton and I like him a lot. But if, if they plan to have Arcia be full-time every single day shortstop, and that's probably an overpay for what you're going to get out of Nicky Lopez. So I kind of get it through that lens. And even if you include that, you know, maybe, maybe the White Sox don't do this deal without Nicky Lopez in it. I mean, it is what it is. Um, Soroka, same thing. Like you said, Schuster, I don't think much of. Braden Schumacher just can't hit, man. I mean, I'm sorry to say that. He, he just can't. So, yeah, it, it's a lot. Uh, but you have to factor in, as we'll talk about more later on in this podcast, as we already talked about with Wright, um, the logistical reality of guys having to be tendered contracts means that, you know, if you can get something of value for a guy that you are about to literally cut, because that's what non-tendering is. It's basically you're just cutting a guy. They were going to cut Soroka. Um, they were not going to tender him a contract. It seems for all the world like they were like they were not they, they were not going to tender Nicky Lopez. So you're getting something for those guys instead of getting nothing for those guys. Maybe writes the same thing. She makes she makes sure have some value, but they're not going to get you a huge returns given what they've been so far in their career. So we say all that to say like you don't have to love Aaron Bummer as we'll talk about him in a second as a player and. uh a theme of the rest of the podcast, I think, in some ways, is going to be uh, people who li- who really love to focus on ERA versus people that do not like to focus on ERA all that, all that much. But putting Aaron Bummer to the side, I'm pretty confident, and I don't know if you agree with me here or not, I'm pretty confident the Braves think Aaron Bummer is a good reliever. Maybe not a great reliever, but a good reliever. And put put that put your own evaluation of that to the side. If If he's a good reliever for them, this trade makes perfect sense. If he doesn't work for them, it's going to get criticized, but the the downside risk, in my opinion, I think yours from the way you said it, is not terribly high here. And if Aaron Bummer is good, this is the kind of deal that the Braves probably needed to make because you clear you clear out some roster spots. That's a, that's another part of this is that you have a lot more flexibility. They had some some clearance to be done. They bolster the bullpen, and you give up all due respect, not that much. It's just more of a volume play. Yeah. And- uh, I would be surprised. I'll say that, say it that way. I would be very surprised if you and I do a podcast in six months and go, man, Braden Shoemake is killing it with the White Sox. Or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> or, yeah, that, or that's Shoemake. what I'm not worried about. Honestly, uh, Shoemake's not the one I'm worried. I mean, look, you said it was right. I will, I will give the same thing that you said about right about Soroka. And this yeah. on on behalf of our, our of our old colleague Eric Cole, if Michael Soroka becomes Michael Soroka again in capital letters, I'm going to be super happy about that for him. Uh, yes, it's too. not it's not likely to happen, but I, I I still think probably at this point he might be the guy that makes them look worse. I mean, maybe Schuster because look, Nicky Lopez, I think Nicky Lopez is pretty good to be honest. Um, yeah. but and it was just more of a logistical thing there with with his contract number. But as far as like the actual prospect guys are concerned. Maybe Schuster becomes a four-starter somewhere. That's a pretty valuable player. But um, yeah, I, I don't... Shoemaker, I'm not particularly worried about. But look, same thing with Schuster. I mean, we, we don't have the same attachment to Jared Schuster that, that we, as we do to Soroka or Wright. But if he goes out and does a great, this great, like, good. Good for him, man. Like, it would be great. I, I just don't think there's a ton of risk of that, but it's possible. For sure. And for both Mike and Jared, they're going to get a chance to pitch every fifth day for what might be the worst or one of the worst teams in the American League next season with the White Sox. They're likely to unload the talent they have on that team and do a full-on rebuild. So, yes, of course, we're all rooting for Michael Soroka. If Jared Schuster wants to go on and have a great year, 
awesome, great, happy for him. I just don't necessarily think that's going to happen. And then with Aaron Bummer, I do want to, you, you mentioned the ERA thing, and I can say this with pretty high certainty. The sharper front offices in Major League Baseball do not look at ERA when evaluating players. Case in point, go look at the ERAs of every player who was traded at the deadline last season and tell me, if you thought that front offices looked at ERA, none of those players would have been acquired. Pierce Johnson had an ERA of six. Brad Hand had an ERA of five and a half. Lance Lynn, who the Dodgers acquired, had an ERA of like seven, right? Like these players would not be traded if teams just looked at the ERA and said, well, that's a good pitcher. Oh, that's not a good pitcher. There are much better statistics to indicate how good a pitcher really is. And quite honestly, with Bummer, yes, his ERA was really high last season. But before that, he was routinely like a two or threes ERA guy with big time strikeout stuff. He was pitching in a horrible situation last year with the White Sox, with all of their issues, both on and off the field. And I mean, his FIP, his ex-FIP, his expected ERA, all of those were almost half of what his ERA was. So a lot of bad luck there. He does walk too many players. He had a bit of a home run issue as well, randomly. But all of that said, this is clearly a guy who was talented. He has a lot of swing and miss to his game. And just like the Braves did with Pierce Johnson, it's pretty easy to see why they would want to go out and acquire and try to fix him a little bit. And if you can, then you have a really good reliever only making five and a half million dollars this season with two club options added after that. And if he isn't good, if it doesn't work out, guess what? He's like the sixth or seventh guy in your bullpen and you can non-tender him or not pick up the club option in a year. And then you move on and more than likely you're not going to be feeling the pain of this deal for much longer. Yeah. And look, as much as we have just talked about how it makes total sense, it may not work. I mean, air bummer may not work. That's it's the volatility of the relief market as we always acknowledge on this podcast, but you did a great job laying that out. Like he was extremely unlucky last year. It's not, I mean, one half step below the surface. will tell you that for instance, he, he had a 55% strand rate last year, Scott, um, that is, one of the lowest in baseball. And that, that, has, that has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? That, that's about the guy who comes in after you that allows runs that go on your ERA total. That's one That's one area where he got very unlucky. Like he had a, a, a FIP in the mid threes with, with an ERA over six. Last five seasons, he has a 3.24 FIP and 3.71 ERA. He has the highest, the highest ground ball rate in all of baseball over the last five seasons. The highest. Like, that's a great thing to have. You love guys who, who, who can induce ground balls, especially when you have a pretty good defense, as the Braves do. Great point. Um, you took the words out of my mouth. With a really good infield defense is really going to help out. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that's that's one characteristic. He misses bats to you, which you mentioned, but uh, one more stat to throw out there. Last year, when he was having a bad season, he was 99th percentile in barrel rate, meaning that Players do not barrel him up. He does not get hit hard like that. He was 87th percentile whiff rate. Like his peripherals are excellent, like flat out excellent. So I'm not going to tell you that I've watched Aaron Bumper pitch a ton because I haven't. I have, to be, I have to be very open about that. But you can see a lot when you look at the profile of these guys. And like he's he's not old. He's 30. He's a lefty, which I think Braves, Braves probably liked a little bit as well, that you have another guy on the left side that can give you some value. It's kind of hard to find those guys sometimes. Anyway, I mean... We kind of talked around it, but the White Sox were not good last year, as you laid out. Um, just the environment upgrade, the infrastructure upgrade. I I have a 
good projection that Aaron Bubber's going to be good this year. And maybe we'll be wrong because, again, it's a reliever. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I like I like the deal. I will say it's not a slam dunk. This isn't one of those deals that we come on the podcast and talk about how it's an A++++ transaction. I'm, I'm not doing that. Maybe you disagree. But it's not like this is the uh, Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Albies extension where it's like there's like no, there's no notes from us. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> um, this is not it's not an A plus. Um, but I think it's a B. It's I mean if if a C is an average grade, I would give this deal like a B or B plus. Like I think it's yeah. a genuinely good trade. Yeah, I thought Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports had a summarized it really well. It's the kind of trade that a team like the Braves and a team like the White Sox in their current situations should make. Yeah. Right. The Braves are going for the upside here. If they can fix Aaron Bummer a bit and get him back in line with his career norms, they have added a very, very good lefty to their bullpen, which even without Bummer projected to be a really good unit. And for the White Sox, if you're going to lose 100 games next year, you really don't need a a bullpen arm like Bummer, especially one that makes five and a half million. What is he going to close out a game or two for you when you only win or you only lose 98 games instead of 100 they get a chance to see what Soroka has. Schuster, Nicky Lopez is probably going to play pretty regularly. So it makes a lot of sense for both teams. Kind of feels in that sense like a, a win-win or a no-lose proposition for both sides. And and those are the kind of deals that you're always looking for this time of year. Yep, I totally get it for the White Sox. Like you said, um, they do have a little bit of upside here on their side. Um, even if you you know want to take a more pessimistic view of guys like Schuster and Soroka, those guys too have, have some upside to be major leaguers. Nicky Lopez is already one right now. Um, we'll see. You know, in a free a free bet on, on Raleigh Gowan. I don't know anything about Raleigh Gowans, to be honest, but there you go. Um, all right, that's enough of that. If you want even more, I think you guys like I think Sean and Scott did like a half hour, basically all on, on Aaron Bummer in that trade. Yeah, so that yeah. should be uh listening for you. If you missed that podcast earlier this week, it should be in your podcast feed of choice. All right, Scott, let's run out the rest of the uh the bevy of moves from the 24 hour period on Friday. Uh, Nick Anderson got traded to the Royals for cash considerations and uh, another deal where it seems very clear he was going to be non-tendered. That's why you do that trade because he was going to be cut anyway. Um, Weird situation. I got to say he was really good. Always pretty good until he got hurt and he got hurt in July and he never came back and it was a little bit odd. And another guy who has real upside, he just can't seem to stay healthy, which is unfortunate. Yeah, you're right about that. That mid-season shoulder injury was very weird. Um, there was just a lot of odd reporting on it at the time too. Like even Nick Anderson thought it was like a 15 day IL thing and the Braves put him on the 60. And then despite needing fresh arms in September and even October, there was no real urgency. I don't, I didn't feel at least from the outside with, with Anderson to get him back. I, I don't know. It was just an odd situation. And early on in the season, it felt like the Braves had kind of found a gem, a guy who was, been injured in the past and it's like wow man this guy's pretty dang good and then to trade him away he was going to be non-tendered so at least they got some cash for him i'm not sure what that dollar amount is but probably not a whole bunch not a lot Um, yeah no no but for you know a guy who was probably going to be the sixth or seventh man in the bullpen you know clearly the braves just there was something lost in translation i think between those two sides and now he'll get a chance to go with the royals it feels like the royals are kind of the midwest braves with all of their uh, comings and goings in recent years and um yeah just kind of an odd situation all the way around i think yes uh i have nothing else to add on that one there were some not some actual non-tenders um we've talked about a lot of candidates but guys who were actually non-tendered michael tonkin colby allard 
Yanni Chirinos were the three biggest names. They're all pitchers, and they were all on the team for various parts of last year. Tonkin was the most useful last year. He actually, as you stumped me with <laughs> last week on the podcast, uh, finished near the top of the Braves pecking order in innings pitched last year, and it was just okay. He was He's mostly just a guy, to be honest, but a guy that's notable. Um, Colby Allard has been has come and gone for a first round pick, of course. Ended the year last year on the 60 day IL with a shoulder issue. I'm not sure what the prognosis is there long term, but no longer around. And then they already DFA'd Yanni Chirinos, um, but he's now non tendered on top of that. The other guys, you know, Penn Murphy and Angel Perdomo were actually just acquired. So a little bit of weirdness there. Chabot Trump is the uh, prototypical third, fourth catcher. He was he was not tendered and Lucas Williams as well. So I mean. I don't know. I mean, Tolkien's the only guy that you would have projected to be probably on or at least close to major league roster next year, maybe Chirinos. But uh, this is kind of, again, just like clearing house, it feels like. Yeah, it is. And you know, I think there was something like 63 players were non-tendered on Friday evening, 63, and seven of them were Atlanta Braves. And it, Which, it was, and it was really actually. I mean, and that, that that does not include Anderson. That does not include Soroka. That does not that does not include uh, yeah. right. If they were going to, so I mean, you could say that you know they kind of avoided a couple of them with trades. They were maybe even close to like nine or ten of guys who were yes. functionally non-tendered. Yes. So sure, there are non-tender decisions for every team most years, but um, yeah. So again, as we talked about off the top, the Braves cut ten. Essentially, ten of their forty-man roster was was moved in one way or the other. Nobody of real consequence. I mean, I, I guess I could have seen Michael Tonkin come back as the long man in the bullpen, or maybe they reunite with Colby Allard, and he's kind of that Gwinnett to Atlanta fifth starter shuttle bus that they've been doing in recent years. Uh, Yanni Chirinos, totally fine moving on. That. How will you remember the Yanni Chirinos era in uh, Atlanta, Brad? Uh, not that well, to be honest with you, Scott. <laughs> Same uh, here. He, he was not particularly effective. Uh, although, didn't he have that weird stat where they, didn't they like win all of his starts or something? But he, he was not uh, good. But they, they kept they kept winning when he pitched. wasn't it, Wasn't he a guy like that? I feel like it was probably. I mean, uh, that, that's very baseball, right? Like they win those too. starts, yeah. and then Strider the next day strikes out fifteen, and he takes the loss or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just how baseball works. But yeah, now look, uh, we talked about Mike already. Uh, Soroka and look, there's other guys on here. Colby Allard is a unfortunately just an injury and just ineffectiveness case. Um, it wouldn't stun me if Tonkin snuck back to Atlanta on a on a minor league deal or something like that. Um, they seem to like him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw someone ask um, very earnestly about the third catcher spot with with Trump gone, and I, I my, my response was basically like that could literally be anyone. Uh, it might be Trump. It wouldn't it wouldn't stun me if he was back on a minor league deal. Yeah, but like yeah. they could find anyone anyone to do that job. So uh, all respect to Chadwick Trump, of course. But I think they could find that's not a spot that I'm sure ter- I'm terribly worried about. At this point. And yeah, by the way, I just looked it up. The Braves were, I believe, three and one in starts made by Chirinos, and despite his ERA being like 100 when he pitched. So good stuff there by all parties involved. Okay, Scott. Oh, by the way, a small rant. I'm sure you've seen this. There were a couple of pieces written, even I think even Rosenthal, who's usually good at this stuff, about how the Braves save like 10 million, 12 million, 14 million dollars. It's just not actually true. They have to replace the players that they uh, DFA'd um, uh, or a sort of non-tendered. They, they they have to pay Hummer as well, who makes more than anyone they sent out. So like, I think that it doesn't actually matter a ton, but there was a little bit of just overstatement that bugged me as a pedantic person about how like they saved all this money and they, they saved a little bit of money, but it was not like $15 million. Like they have to replace yeah. roster spots. That's not how that works. Yeah. I was trying to do some quick math. I think they probably saved four, maybe 5 million 
Yeah, that, that's but, much more reasonable than 15 or whatever, whatever I saw was yeah. reported. That's not really a thing. Um, anyway, that's just a small thing. Before we get out of here, because Scott has to go do something, because it's it's Sunday and there's Arizona basketball happening tonight. I'm just I'm just saying this out loud for everybody. This Number three in the country, uh, Brad. <laughs> um, there was a bunch of reporting and actually a signing that was not a brave signing that happened uh, over the last couple of days on the pitching front. So Ken Rosenthal, earlier today on Sunday, um, he noted the old uh, quote: "There are no coincidences coincidences in baseball." Notion, and uh, he he's, he actually quoted an agent who said that all of the Braves moves were quote calculated and for purpose and basically said uh, there was a hundred percent chance that the Braves had something cooking up. Obviously people have speculated on that and Rosenthal wrote himself. I'm going to quote him now directly quote, the Braves are motivated to acquire at least one frontline starter as they face the departure, the potential departures of Max Freed and Charlie Morton after the 2024 season. Obviously, it's something we talked about a lot, so not anything breaking news there, but for Rosenthal to say flatly that the Braves are, quote, quote, motivated to acquire a, quote, frontline starter, that's not a coincidence, I don't think. Anyway, he wrote earlier this week, too, before I throw it back to you, that there's this notion out there in some corners of baseball internet, the Braves don't want to go super duper high on average annual value because they don't have anybody on their team making more than $22 million right now. Rosenthal basically said that's not the case, and... uh, he accurately noted that the Braves offered Freddie Freeman more than that on an annual basis. Of course he did not sign it, but they offered him more than that. So they don't have like a ceiling on what they can offer a player. And they seemingly just want a starter in this free agent class. And a lot of guys are going to get a lot of money. In fact, Aaron Ola signed for a lot of money today. So I say all that, Scott, we'll talk about some individuals and Aaron Ola is no longer on the market, but anything strike you as interesting from the reporting from Rosenthal? Because um, he is the guy along with your guy passing that is the most plugged in and most reasonable most of the time. And for him to be like pretty candid, like, Hey, the Braves want to are motivated to get a frontline starter. That's an eyebrow raise, if nothing else. Yeah. It just feels like, and I don't know if you feel this way, Brad, but it just feels to me like they are going to sign one of these free agent starting pitchers. Am, am I alone there? Or do you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting there. I, I was kind of already there. Them, I was probably leaning that direction, and I think this reporting, and then we'll just let's just get to it now. Aaron Nola signed a seven-year deal today with Philadelphia, and your guy Jeff Passan reported, and I quote, that the Braves were a quote real threat to poach Aaron Nola. So if the Braves were a real threat, you never know how real that is, but if they were really in the mix on Nola, like close to the end at that kind of number, then yeah, it seems like they're pretty invested in getting someone like that. And look, I, I don't know if Atlanta wanted to go seven years. I would guess they probably did not want to go seven years. Probably and maybe not. that's why yeah. he's still in Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, Heyman also reported that he that Noah took less from Philly. I'm kind of skeptical of that. I don't know about you. That seems like a, some after-the-fact spin, if I had to guess. But regardless, if the Braves were actually in the mix on Noah anywhere near that price, and, you know, we could talk about that price at another time if you want to, but... Yeah, I'm kind of on your side. It seems like they want somebody, you know, John Morosi, which is that comes with a huge caveat for me anyway. He's talked about how the Braves are a possibility with Sonny Gray. Um, in fact, I think today he said he, they were one of the top suitors for Sonny Gray. That's a guy I know you've liked for a long time. He's not quite on the Aaron Nola tier of money, but like yeah. that's a real guy. So I, I'm, I, to answer your question in a long way, yes, I think I agree with you that they're they're, they're at least trying pretty hard to sign somebody. For sure. And, you know, it was also reported that uh, you, you mentioned Passan saying the Braves were a threat to poach Nola. It was also reported by Bob Nightingale. Your you guy, know, Bob, Bob Nightingale. Nightingale. 
Bob Nightingale gets made fun of with with good reason. <laughs> well, I was for, say, with good reason, yes, he gets for being a goofball and yes. and all of his stuff. But he does like really quietly break a lot of things. He doesn't just he's just not good at promoting his own work. Like he's, he doesn't. He's know a how bad. To... He's a bad tweeter. He's just an awful tweeter. Yeah. Uh, he makes mistakes as far as like spellings and yeah he's become a caricature but you're right that he does he, he had nola first everybody kind of reported it. he was the first and, one to have nola so and not even twitter it was like buried a thousand words down in his weekly yeah, usa that, today column it's like what are you doing bob it's crazy right wouldn't you wouldn't someone at usa today his editor go and say hey bob we want a separate article saying that aaron nola is closing in on a deal with the phillies i mean a huge deal seven years 172 million um, you know, based on the reporting, I, I would kind of connect the dots and think that the Braves were probably more at five or six years and maybe $25 million or so for Aaron Nola, who is good to be sure. Um, you know, I, I would not have given him seven years. That scares me a bit. Uh, but with, with Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Blake Snell, Yamamoto, who I believe gets posted on Monday. Yep. Um, you know, th- there are some really talented starting pitchers who are going to hit the market and probably won't cost seven years. Maybe Blake Snell gets seven, but if they want to go for a Sonny Gray, I'm guessing he's probably four years or so. Um, same for Eduardo Rodriguez and, and all of that. So there are pros and cons with all of these guys. None of them are perfect pitchers by any means, but uh, it does sure feel like to me anyway, and I felt this way a little while, that the Braves will use free agency to address the starting rotation, and then they will likely make a trade to upgrade left field. Um, although we will see about that. Yeah, I think that is the most likely scenario for sure, which I think we said recently, but it's almost feeling more like that by the day. You know, we talked about Gray before, nothing new there. Like he is an older guy. He just turned 34. He may not have, he may not have the, the durability of someone like Nola. By the way, I pulled some numbers on Nola that are not relevant anymore, but Aaron Nola has been way better than people realize <laughs> and even me like i will raise my hand like I, I did some research on nola before he signed today for this podcast man he's been really good for like a long time like i think we kind of know he's yeah. good but he, he's been better than i thought he has been for a while anyway uh i agree with you on seven years though there's uh it, w- it will shock me if alex gives anybody a seven-year deal as a pitcher because yes, pitchers as a pitcher for as a sure pitcher. Yeah. um but anyway we'll see where, where the line comes in on any of these guys you know gray is going to be cheaper than that obviously uh shorter shorter years but He's the kind of guy that, yeah, durability, not, not a strength necessarily, but has some real upside when it matters. And I, I can't remember who I saw this, said this on Twitter today, so my apologies, but it was a good point that I read. Basically, like, yes, the Braves would probably be better off with someone super durable than Sonny Gray, but the Braves just won 104 games with three starters, basically. Um, yeah. They actually, I think I think they actually use your, your Tonkin stat as part of their pitch like hey the Braves just had Tonkin finish fourth in innings and they won 104 games so it's not really about durability it's more like having your guys at the right time <laughs> in some ways and having For some sure. upside um so anyway yeah, um, if, yeah. if you're telling you know the Sonny Gray injury thing is interesting because it seems to come up quite a bit though he has missed a handful of starts in every year but he's made upwards of 20 starts every year of in the last six or seven seasons I don't have his numbers exactly in front of me but Yes, he's always seemingly good for like a, a couple of week injury, but he is not like chronic. This is not a Jacob deGrom where every time he sneezes, he seemingly gets hurt. Um, you know, he is on, you know, middle 30s. He's not a young man in the eyes of baseball anymore. But, you know, hand Eduardo Rodriguez is also a really good starter. Um, 
you know, left-handed, of course. So there are there are options here. And and as we've kind of outlined, I just I really think the Braves, and they know this, without Charlie Morton more than likely in a year, and presumably no Max Freed. Sean and I also talked about this a bit on the podcast a couple of days ago. Just seems like Max is headed to free agency for better or worse. And then if Charlie retires, you're looking for two starting pitchers in a year. Uh, if you have to find three, that that would be pretty crazy. So it sure just feels like for all of these reasons that they will add somebody of impact to the rotation for this upcoming year. It really does at this point in time. So we'll come back. On, maybe we'll get breaking news on Monday. Um, but until then, as that kind of always happens, we'll leave it there for now. You know, we, we could talk about Shoei Otani again uh, because Morosi reported that he is intrigued by the thought of the Braves. Um, anyway. <laughs> Lots Shohei of Otani, hey, Shohei wants to win. I can't think of an organization better set up to win over the next five years than the Atlanta Braves. Well, the real pitch, I'm not sure if you saw this. The real pitch was uh, there was a report out of, uh, I think it was like California somewhere, that uh, Otani actually wanted his his meetings with teams to be kept quiet, which allowed everyone to get their, their Braves jokes off about how good Alex is and not leaking anything. So, hey, if Shohei wants to be private, Atlanta's a great place to do that. Just keep yes. under wraps. He- good. I, yeah, um, you know, Shohei does, um, how do I say this? He is a private person. He has been hounded by media outlets all over the world for the better part of the last five or six years. So I can say with certainty that it will not turn into a circus. I, I have uh, connections to the Angels front office. There's some some personal connections and just hearing about Shohei as an individual and as a human being this is not going to be a circus. I think it's going to be a fairly quiet free agency wherever he ends up. And um, I, I guess it's not 0%, Brad, that, that Shohei could come to Atlanta. Uh, yes, not zero and probably not much higher than that. But hey, not zero. So we'll leave it yeah, there. That's the, the title of the podcast. Not zero, but not maybe. zero, but maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's news we will just breeze past because that we've it's been covered by Sean and others. You know, the All-Star Games coming back to Atlanta 2025. Ronnie won the MVP unanimously, which we talked about last week and that ended up happening. Shouts to Ronnie. He was awesome this year. Uh, I'm going to leave off my rant about Blake Snell winning a giant margin Cy Young win, despite having the highest walk rate and the highest strand rate in all of baseball. That's not a joke. That's That should not be possible to win the Cy Young with 28 first place votes while having those numbers. But hey, ERA rules all, Scott. ERA rules all. Yeah. There are a lot of um, dinosaurs in the BBWAA. And he was good. To be fair, he was good this year. He was. He was. But like, you shouldn't be winning nearly unanimously with his profile. That's that would be my only point. (laughs) Right. Ronald Acuna Jr. is an is it unanimous unanimous award winner because he did something that has never been done before. Right. 70, 70 steals, 40 homers, insane season. Those are the kind of players who deserve to get all of the votes or just about all of them. Blake Snell, very good. But yeah, I uh I just, I don't know, man. I just can't get into award voting. I just don't. I, I want no. the Braves to win. I want them to be deserving, <laughs> but uh, I just don't care. There's a reason why that was mentioned briefly at the 40-minute mark of the podcast, and that's because of our uh, our general uh, desire to, to avoid award voting talk on this podcast. Okay, briefly, before we get out of here, we got a question from Joss who said, what is the most overrated Thanksgiving side item? And because... It's Thanksgiving week, Scott. We are three or four days away now to listen to this podcast from Thanksgiving. I thought it was a good idea to end this podcast with that question. I will change it a little bit and also ask you for your favorite as well to make it a little bit more positive. But favorite Thanksgiving side and most overrated, Scott Coleman, the floor is yours. So I'm going to go off 
the question a little bit here. I want to make a personal shout out. Oh, no. Everybody out there to let them know that ham is disgusting. <laughs> oh, no. That's not boo. I, I, that's not the opinion of this podcast. That's the opinion of one, one host on this podcast. I'm pro ham. Um, okay. I'm very sorry to say, Brad, that you are wrong and pro I ham. am right. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I once went, not Thanksgiving, but a Christmas dinner and they had a ham and that was the only protein option. And Good. I was so sad and I just loaded up on like, you know, mashed potatoes and green beans and was, yeah, it was, it was bad. Um, man, most overrated. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a big, I mean, I don't know. People probably have different, different sides, right? Like I'm, I'm not a big Mac and cheese guy. I don't know if Mac and cheese is like a fairly common, um, uh, Thanksgiving side. I don't know. I mean, I eat everything that it's, uh, I should have come better prepared, Brad. What about you? <laughs> um, okay. So most overrated, this is probably gonna get me yelled at. Um, I don't like anything with a sweet potato. Oh, that's okay. Good I'm call. Out. We don't. I'm out on that. Uh, I which, would agree. You know, you know what? what? We don't. It didn't come to mind because we don't make anything with sweet potato because I don't like sweet potato. So um, that I would say sweet potato officially. Not you're you're, all, you're also that. not from the south, which it's just different down here too. I, I can't. Yes. You know, I've lived here most of my life, and it is what it is. Um, I'm not a sweet potato guy. That's probably the, the one that I would say is not my favorite. Um, or not one that I enjoy at all, but at least we all have our personal preferences. Um, my favorite, hmm, I, I am a big mashed potato guy on Thanksgiving in particular. I think that's what I think about when I think Thanksgiving, I think about a giant helping of mashed potatoes with plenty of gravy doused on them. And like, I think that that's, it's almost like that's become, and I get it, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. But like I, that's just, that's literally the first thing I think of. I feel like with Thanksgiving in general, it's not turkey, not ham. Yeah. It's, it's Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm pro. Ham. Say, this is this is. I'm, I'm shocked by this ham slander from you. I'm, I can't. I can't believe this. This is. I'm losing my not, mind. Yeah, not a ham fan. You have at to all. have some honey baked ham in your life at some point. If you've not had honey baked ham, it's just maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe maybe you're having the wrong ham, Scott. I've had it, and uh, though there was, remember, like this was years ago, some <laughs> Braves transaction got broken at a honey baked ham with uh, I think Freddie Gonzalez was in line. Sure, it was. And someone, someone on like Twitter was talking to Freddie. He's like, "Yeah, we just signed so and so. I forget Freddy who it Gonzalez. was." Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, shout out Freddie Gonzalez. Um, yeah, I know. I'm. I agree. I mean, I love mashed potatoes uh, stuffing. I mean, I'll, I'll load up half my plate with stuffing. Uh, we usually do some like roasted asparagus or green beans or something like that that are really good. Um, and then, of course, you have to drouse your plate in gravy. Um, yes. Good brown gravy Agreed. on the turkey. Um, are you a white meat or a dark meat or a mix kind of guy? Uh, mix. I'm I'm OK. I, and you know, my my hottest take about, about oh, Thanksgiving boy. now that we're now that we're done is that turkey is not my favorite thing. I will eat it on Thanksgiving, um, but I, I will just say there are there are better options than turkey i give it as traditional and again it's it's fine it's fine i agree but yeah. uh I, I don't think that turkey is particularly enticing to me in a vacuum if, if i'm going to like a barbecue restaurant and they have like a roasted turkey i would not get it i there are numerous better meats than yeah, than turkey rough um, rails, but that's okay but with but <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> this isn't quite brad and scott's favorite recipe it, it's close we're getting there um but like a plate of turkey with with the gravy, you get a little bit of the mashed potatoes with it too, and make your own little bite. Yeah, it's uh, it is very good for the one day a year. But I, I agree in general, turkey is is pretty boring for the most part. It's not my favorite thing in the world, Scott. Okay, well we're out of here. Uh, that'll be it for us. 
I think unless there's a big transaction, if there is one, then perhaps uh, you and I will circle the wagons in the next couple of days. But uh, I think the odds are that it'll be the last one for you and I together until after Thanksgiving. So um, happy Thanksgiving to you, Scott, and to all of our listeners. Please, before we get out of here, sign off and uh, share with folks with, uh, where they can find all of your takes about, if nothing else, Arizona basketball as you're about to walk out the door to college basketball. That's right. Bear down, number three in basketball, top 15 or so in football. It is a good time, uh, budget crisis aside. Um, <laughs> but no, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. If you were traveling this upcoming week, please travel safe. If you're going to be around friends and family who like the Atlanta Braves, tell them about this podcast. Uh, maybe play the podcast during Thanksgiving dinner. Sure. It will ensure that no uh, no topics that you don't want to come up at the Thanksgiving dinner table, they won't come up if you have our podcast going. So, uh, But yeah, no, take care, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back at some point here soon, and happy Thanksgiving. Well put by my co-host on this podcast. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts is still a thing for another year or so until it gets sunset, overcasts, et cetera. We should be on all of your audio-only platforms. And if we're not, please let us know. We'll get that fixed shortly. Read us as well, batterypower.com. Play us all week. Play us in the car. Uh, Sean will be, I'm sure, creating new content this week as well. And then we'll have more coming up. I don't know what next time that Scott and I will talk, but it won't be too long. It never is. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. Thank you for listening, everybody, once again. And we'll see you all next time.